Our scripture reading for this morning comes from Psalm uh, chapter 22. Hear the word of the Lord. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him. For he delights in him. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me, like a raving and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircle me, and they have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothes they cast lots. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard And when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all of the families of the nation shall worship before you. For the kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. As we prepare to approach God's word together this morning, let's pray and uh, ask for his help. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do plead with you that you would open our ears, but not only our ears, our hearts as well. Um, Father, we were made for your voice. We were made to hear and respond and obey your voice, uh, the voice that spoke into the nothingness and created everything there is, the voice of the one who came and when he walked this earth spoke to the blind and they received their sight and to the lame and they were made to walk and the deaf and they were made to hear and even to the dead who are made alive by the hearing of his voice. Father, we pray that you would open our ears and our hearts to hear your voice this morning. And Father, we pray that you would remind us as we spend time in your word that though we 
are all facing different things in our lives right now. We're really all the same. We're all far more broken than we could ever imagine. And so together we need to be reminded of our hope in Jesus, that because of Him we can be both far more broken than we could ever imagine, but also far more loved and secure and accepted and approved of than we could have ever dared to dream was possible. And Father, we pray that this good news would change us. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. And uh, children ages three to first grade, you're dismissed to your children's church class. If you make your way to the back of the sanctuary, someone will take you to your class. Well, three or four weeks ago, we started a Sunday morning series for the summer um, in the first book of the Psalms. taking selected psalms, and already just a few weeks into it, it feels like um, an emotional roller coaster of sorts, kind of up and down, where we've been in places of still reflection, but then we've been in places of crushing despair, and then we've been in places of joy and wonder, and now today in Psalm 22, we're in a place of lonely suffering and pain. Um, you know, if you've ever come to me uh, for any counsel, chances are pretty good that I've directed you to a psalm or two in our time to read, to meditate upon, um, because it's because of this. If you're overwhelmed um, in life, or if you're afraid, or if you're angry, or if you're confused, or if you're hurting, or you're happy, or you're empty, or you're tired, you've got a friend in the Psalms, right? The Psalms cover all of that, right, and more. They cover the entirety of human emotions and experience, and today we're giving our attention to dealing with the experience uh, and the problem of pain. Um, Several years ago, there was a movie starring Dennis Quaid called Vantage Point, Um, and Quaid played this secret service agent who was trying to solve an attempted assassination on the president, and it really wasn't that great of a movie, uh, but, but what made it an interesting movie was that this whole movie covered um, a 20-minute or so window of time, uh, from the attempted assassination to the fleeing assassins being apprehended. Uh, all took place within 20 minutes, and They made it into a two-hour movie with the telling again and again of that 20-minute window of time from the differing vantage points of the different characters in the story, hence the title of the movie, right, Vantage Point. Um, And it was fascinating to see how, how valuable those different vantage points actually were, how each vantage point provided a different angle, another piece of the puzzle uh, in order for it all to come together and for the, uh, the assassins to be caught. Each vantage point was completely necessary to solving that mystery in that movie. Um, Psalm 22, it confronts us with the problem of pain and suffering in this life. Um, and each of us this morning we're going to be coming to Psalm 22 from any number of different vantage points. We're going to be looking at this psalm and this problem from different angles. It could be that you are in pain 
right now. And you walked through these doors this morning with a heart very, very heavy and broken. And you feel like your life is crumbling to pieces as we speak, no matter what the circumstances are. Um, But you may not be coming that way. Um, Maybe you know someone who's in the middle of that, right, in the middle of pain, and you need to know how you can be a good friend to them, a faithful friend to them. Or or maybe your life is just all roses right now. Um, But intense suffering for you and pain, it could be right around the corner and you just don't know it yet, right? Or, Or maybe, you know, none of us escape None of us escape the hardness, the brokenness, the pain that comes from living in this broken world. Or maybe you're a Christian, but you feel falsely guilty for the pain you feel. And you tell yourself, if I was a better Christian, I wouldn't hurt like this. I wouldn't be scared like this. Or maybe you're not a Christian. And a big reason you're not a Christian is because you're suspicious that Christianity is just some sentimental escapism from dealing with the harsh reality of life as it is. Um, we could go on, I could go on and on like this, but my point is that no matter where you find yourself in particular this morning, what vantage point you're coming from, Psalm 22 has something to say to you about the problem of pain. And so I want to go ahead and jump right in, and here's what I want us to talk about this morning. I want us to talk about three things. I want us to talk about the question that we face in pain, and then I want us to talk about the silence in our pain And finally, I want us to talk about the answer through pain. Okay, so first, let's talk about the question in pain. We hear the question in pain in the very first verse, right? And and it's the question that anyone who has gone through pain and suffering can very quickly identify with. And it's very simple. One word. Why? Why is this happening to me? Why is my life falling apart? Why am I going through this right now? Why this suffering? Why this pain? See, verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? And you read through this psalm, and you get a picture of the intense suffering and pain that is felt here for David right? You see, it's not ignored, and it's not trivialized, right? There's no sentimental escapism here. You see the intense rejection, right? Verse 6, I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. And you see the intense physical anguish, right? My bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. My strength dried up. My tongue sticks to my jaws. I can count all my bones. But it's not only intense rejection and intense physical anguish. It's certainly also intense loneliness in the midst of pain, right? Verse 11, trouble is near and there is no one to help. Real isolation. And there's also, all of this is also intensely public. Right? Verse 7, all who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. Verse 12, many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me, and, and so on. The, quest, the question 
that instinctively and reflexively rises to the surface in the midst of our pain is why what comes out of the isolating, physical, emotional, publicly humiliating, and crushing pain is the question, why? Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? See, when pain cuts into your life, right, and it stabs into your world, and it rips through your experience, that's the question that reflexively and instinctively forms on our lips, and we cry it, and we shout it, and we scream it. Why? See, when, when you hear the doctor's diagnosis, when the business you've given yourself to for the last 20 years of your life cuts you loose, when things are falling apart in your home, with your friends, with your kids, with your spouse, when you've been rejected, when you've been disappointed by your friends, when you've been passed over in your career, we instinctively and reflexively ask why. Right? So let me, let me ask you this. Why do we ask why? Right? Why is that the question that forms on our lips in the midst of our pain? Some of you have heard me joke before about my kids wearing me out with their why questions. Um, and uh, little kids do that. When they discover the word why, they can prolong any conversation. Um, why is this, it's this question that just keeps digging underneath the surface, right? Um, it, it's looking for a root cause. It, it, it's, it's looking for the source, the reason, right? I, I heard this interview yesterday with a man named Matt. And his nine-year-old daughter was in a phase of asking all these why and why not and explain to me questions, right? Uh, this endless, unrelenting string of questions is what he called it. Um, and one night he said he was working at home and his nine-year-old daughter, Rosie, uh, came into his office and she, he just said she started bugging me with all of these questions. And so he told her, he said, he said, give me a minute to finish working. Go and write down your questions on a piece of paper. And in his words in this interview, he said he was expecting three to four questions and maybe a picture of a bunny rabbit uh, to come back to him. All right. What he got was three pages <laughs> of 50 questions. And I'll just give you a sample of those questions. What is life? Why? This is a nine-year-old. Where do we go when we die? Explain. Time. Why? Explain. Why do you do what you do? Who do you miss? Why? Explain. Now, Matt is a writing professor at West Point. And so he decided that he would write responses to his daughter's questions. And it would be a lot of fun. Maybe I can use this in another illustration and share some of those answers. Um, but the funny thing is that his daughter is now 12. For three years, he's been working on answers to these questions. <laughs> and he's only a third of the way through his nine-year-old's questions, right? And it's because why are the, why are the why questions are the ultimate questions, right? They're the questions that get underneath everything and go to the source, right? They are the hard questions, 
Right? Why questions are about trying to comprehend and make sense out of what doesn't make sense to us. That's the question we reflexively and instinctively ask in our pain. Why do we ask why in those moments? Because we're human beings. Right? Because deep down we know that pain is not right in this world. It's an unwelcome intruder into this world. The things described in this psalm, I mean, it's telling, we're not made for pain. We're not built for pain. The things that keep you from sleeping at night, the things that cause you to break down in tears, right, that leave lumps in your throat and knots in your gut, right, that make you clench your fists in fury. Listen to me. We instinctively ask why questions because we know this is not the way it was meant to be. And the Bible is saying, even as Justin alluded to earlier, the Bible is saying it's okay and it's normal to admit real pain in this life. And it's okay to cry and it's okay to shout why. I mean, you can find some comfort in this. This psalm is saying that it's completely legitimate to shout that question at God himself. Why? Why? Because pain and suffering isn't normal. It isn't the way it was supposed to be. Okay, why? That's the question we ask in pain. But second, I want us to think about the silence we experience in pain. See, it's difficult enough that pain is this unwelcome intruder into our lives. But the psalmist is saying things can get worse, right? Because it's in the midst of pain. In the midst of his most desperate need, that he's met with silence. When he cries out, there's no answer. There's no reply. Crickets. Nothing. I've been there, and I'm sure many of you have been there too. Desperate for an answer. Desperate for a reason for this pain. But all you get is silence. It's more than just a feeling that your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. This silence feels like God has forgotten you. Like he's turned his back on you in your most desperate need. In verse 1, the psalmist doesn't just say, God, why have you forsaken me? He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's what the Bible would call covenantal language, right? God made a covenant promise to his people. I will be your God and you will be my people. And the psalmist is saying, I'm clinging to your promise, but I feel forsaken. I feel forgotten. I feel like you are so far from saving me, like you've turned your back on me entirely and let me, have, let me suffer like this. But the stinging reality really comes in verse 2, right? Where he says, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. In the experience of pain, it often feels that at the moment you most need God, you are met with deafening silence. And many of you have been there, and you might be there right now, in the silence, some of you, uh, you bookworms know that I, I stole the title for this sermon from a book that C.S. Lewis wrote uh, called The Problem of Pain. And it's, 
it's a really good book um, with a lot of philosophizing and theologizing. I don't even know if that's a word or not, but about this problem of pain, right? But after Lewis wrote that book, after he wrote that book, he met a woman named Joy Davidman, and he fell in love with her. And despite the fact that she had cancer and was most likely going to die, they married. And then the cancer went into remission, and they had a couple of wonderful years together. But then the cancer came back with a vengeance. And here's the thing. In that moment, when pain fell into his life, when it stabbed into his world, all the philosophizing and theologizing about the problem of pain didn't help him. When pain came crashing down in real time, in real experience, it it crushed him and left him in the dust. And so he picked up his pen and he wrote another book called A Grief Observed. And it's basically a journaling of his process through his loss and pain. And let me read you a quote from that book. He says this, Meanwhile, where is God? He writes, This is one of the most disquieting symptoms. When you are happy, so happy that you have no sense of needing Him, so happy that you're tempted to feel His claims upon you as an interruption, if you remember yourself and turn to Him with gratitude and praise, you will be, or so it feels, welcomed with open arms. But go to Him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face, and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. After that, silence. You may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence will become. There are no lights in the windows. It might be an empty house. Was it ever inhabited? It seemed so once, and that seeming was as strong as this. What can this mean? Why is he so present a commander in our times of prosperity and so very absent to help in our time of trouble? C.S. Lewis, great thinker, theologian, philosopher, in the midst of real pain, he faced emphatic, deafening silence, right? Lewis and the psalmist, they're saying that oftentimes it gets worse before it gets better. Oftentimes in pain, it feels as though God has turned His back on us altogether and walked away from His promise, from His covenant, So desperate are we for an answer to our question why that we often start listening very, very hard to the silence in our pain. And here's what I mean by that, how we listen hard to the silence. We're going to go from one great philosopher and thinker in C.S. Lewis to another in Jimmy Buffett. Um, Buffett has this great uh, chorus in one of his songs, um, and it goes like this. If the phone doesn't ring you'll know that it's me. I'll be in the eye of the storm. If the phone doesn't ring, you'll know that it's me. He's singing a song about this ended relationship, right, and the deafening message of silence when the phone doesn't ring, right? What's the message when the phone doesn't ring is what he's saying, and you're left listening so hard to this message of silence. Does it mean you no longer care, that you're no longer interested in me, that you don't love me anymore, right? You know, the that's the message we're listening to. 
these first two points, I understand, they feel, they feel pretty harsh, the question, the silence, and our pain, but there's something comforting in reading through these psalms that communicate the things that we are feeling and suffering in our pain. They say to us, you're not alone, right? David felt it too. He asked the question why, just like you asked the question why. Right? He struggled with the deafening message of silence, just like you do in your pain. You aren't alone. And that is a comfort in this psalm. In fact, someone even greater than David felt and experienced these things. And for that, we go to our last point, the answer through pain. And the first point, you know, we describe some of what was happening. This intense public rejection, lonely, isolating, suffering, and pain. Um, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, David wrote about his experience. He was writing about his experience, but he even wrote beyond his own experience to the experience of another. Psalm 22, you know what it's describing in Psalm 22? Psalm 22 is the description of a crucifixion a public execution, right? When you get down to verse 16, we read, they have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. In verse 18, they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. That was the practice of that day, right? In a public execution, the executioners got the criminal's clothing. And many of you saw that as soon as we read through the psalm, as soon as Justin read through the psalm for us. And, and what's more, many of you recognize that the, the very beginning of the psalm, immediately, it's Jesus' words, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those were his words that he shouted from the cross when he hung there being crucified. You know, in Jesus' day, There were no divisions of chapters and verses in the Bible. And so if you wanted to reference, say, a specific psalm, you would quote the very first line of the psalm, right? Which is what Jesus did from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And put it this way, to all the… Here's what Jesus was saying. He was saying this whole psalm isn't just about David. This whole psalm is about me. He, to all those who saw him crucified, Jesus was saying, if you want to know what I came into this world to do and why I'm hanging on this cross, read Psalm 22. And if you want to see what Jesus' real pain was all about, you need to notice this, what his real pain was right? I mean, we can talk about the physical agony of Jesus' death, and we can talk about it in great detail and make your stomach squirm, right? But I want you to hear me that on the cross, Jesus didn't say, my hands, my hands, my feet, my feet, my body, my body, because that wasn't the source of his real pain. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, that's the ultimate horror. That's the ultimate pain. That's the ultimate agony. Throughout eternity, he had a perfect, loving relationship with his Father, beautiful love with his Father. And on the cross, he lost his Father. His Father really and truly forsook him. 
He lost his father's fatherly gaze and got his back instead. He got his wrath instead of his love. And I wish we had more time to pull out more of the details in this psalm, but the end of this psalm is amazing. Remember, Jesus is saying this whole psalm is about him. And so what's really amazing is that in verse 20 and 21, if you look at those verses, Jesus was crying out for deliverance. But then all of a sudden in verse 22, he starts talking like it's already happened. It's a weird transition. It's so abrupt. All of a sudden he says, I will tell your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. And then he starts talking about feasting, and he starts talking about worshiping, and he talks about all the nations getting converted, right? From death to life, from agonizing pain to a glorious feast, right? From being cut off to all things being put back together. You know, there's often mystery In your pain and in mine, we know that we weren't made for pain and suffering. And so we ask why instinctively. But the mystery of Jesus' suffering and his pain, it has been revealed to you. He was crucified and he was forsaken in your place. Why? So that through his pain, He might put the whole world and you back together the way it was meant to be. See, the answer of the gospel isn't deliverance from pain, but deliverance through pain. Deliverance through the one who took ultimate pain for us and was truly forsaken by his Father. Several years ago, Jennifer was gone one night, um, and I was parenting, I'm told not to call it babysitting, so uh, I was parenting, and being the wonderful parent that I am, um, I let my four-year-old daughter to stay up late with me, sit on the couch with me, and watch some uh, edifying television. We were watching American Idol. This is several years ago. Um, But I remember it like it was yesterday because she was four years old, and we're watching this special episode of American Idol where they're raising all this money for children in Africa, children who were dying from starvation, the AIDS virus and malaria and all these different things. And, and so there's all this heartbreaking footage that I was subjecting my daughter to without really realizing it. And at one point, there's this close-up of this little boy's face, and he's crying, and the tears are running down his dusty face, and my daughter asked me why he was crying, and I kind of realized maybe we shouldn't be watching this. Um, And I knew she wouldn't understand malaria, AIDS, those kind of things, and so I just said, well, he has a boo-boo. And immediately, immediately, without hesitation, she just asked me this. She said, is Jesus going to make it better? You know how good it is to have an answer to that when your four-year-old daughter asks you that? It's beautiful. The whole Bible is saying to you, yes, it won't always be like this. One day, someday, you are going to have the life you were meant to have. And in that day, God himself will come and he will wipe 
every tear from every dusty face. And there will be no more pain. There will be no more mourning or crying or death anymore. Why is that? Because Jesus came. Because God himself entered into our pain, ultimate pain, and he went through ultimate pain and rejection and loneliness and suffering to deliver us. Let me tell you another question that all of my kids, I have four of them, all of them have asked me at one point. They've all asked me, Dad, do I have two dads? And the first time I heard that question, I thought, Jennifer and I need to have a conversation later tonight. Um, But my kids ended up helping me understand that question, right? Because they kept hearing us talk about God our Father and praying to our Father. Do I have two dads? Yes. And one is far better than the other, right? Do you know what you need to make it through suffering and pain in your life? You need someone else with you. You can't and you won't make it through alone. And this psalm is saying, even if your friends disappoint you and fail you and forsake you, even if your parents fail you, and they will, and even if your church has misunderstood you and let you down in Jesus, you have a companion who understands you. He was utterly alone, rejected, exposed, and humiliated. And he calls you, in verse 22, his family. He calls you his brother. And listen, when Jesus is your brother and God is your father, you can never be alone, no matter what pain you feel in this life. Listen, there is no escaping the hardness of this life, pain in this life, And maybe you're there today, and maybe you'll be there tomorrow. And when it comes, you'll instinctively ask the question, why? And there will be times that you have to sit in silence. And there will be times in our pain when you and I, we feel forsaken. But if Jesus is your brother and God is your father, you and I, we can only ever feel forsaken in this life. We can never really be forsaken in this life if Jesus is our brother and God is our father because he was really forsaken in our place. The problem of pain, it's a real problem. We know we weren't meant for this, but search all the other religions in the world and you will not find a God like this, a God who left glory to enter into ultimate pain to deliver you through it. In verse 2, Jesus said, I cry by night, but I find no rest. On the cross, Jesus came, and he lost rest, and he lost peace so that he could give you peace and rest. Run to the one who loves you and came to put you and the world back together again. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, We praise you and thank you for your word, and we thank you for the psalmist David who puts into words what we are feeling so very, very often in the midst of our pain and how we ask the questions why and how we're confused in the silence. And Father, we pray that you would indeed lift our eyes to see Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, 
to see him who endured the cross, scorning its shame, to sit down at your right hand, to see him who was forsaken, so that we can now know that we can only ever feel forsaken in this life, but never be forsaken, because he was forsaken for us. Father, let this good news penetrate our hearts and bring us joy and transform us. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.